So today we're on the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The ninth commandment, strictly speaking, can be best understood by our modern definition of perjury, uh, which is defined as the offense of willfully telling an untruth in a court after having taken an oath or affirmation. A name associated with one of the most famous examples of perjury is Mark Furman. In 1995, Detective Mark Furman was called to testify against O.J. Simpson during the murder trial. And if you're familiar with the case, we know that during the trial, while under oath, Detective Mark said that he did not use any racial slurs in the past 10 years. Yet the defense team was able to get a hold of a recording of an interview with this detective where they counted 41 times of such racial slurs coming out. I guess 40, you're not a racist, and 41, you are. But that's a pretty high number, high count in offense. And after this, this trial that people were following suddenly took a bizarre turn. The focus was no longer on O.J. Simpson's murder trial, but rather now on Detective Furman and racism. One of the fathers of the victim is quoted saying, this is not the Furman trial. This is a trial about the man who murdered my son, referring to O.J. Simpson. Even though this was a trial about murder, it was quickly and suddenly eclipsed by a lie as well as a false witness about evidence at the crime scene. So today, I want us to think about what is the ninth commandment in context here? How does it relate to the gospel, and how do we apply it today? And the gospel message is this. The truth helps us guard the truths. And that'll become a little more clear as we continue. The truth helps us guard the truths. So we'll look at the commandment, the gospel, and then how it applies. As we look at the command, as we think once more about the commandments that we've went over so far, we know that the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandment are to not murder, to not commit adultery, and to not steal. So then it makes sense that the ninth commandment ensures that no one is permitted to accuse a fellow neighbor of any of these things lightly, willy-nilly. Being that the punishment for murder, adultery, and stealing were severe, the people here are commanded by God not to bear false witness or lie in a courtroom setting regarding these such serious matters. Now, as we think about today, there are many similarities between our modern court system and the ancient model. Witnesses played a key role, and their testimonies bared a lot of weight. However, unlike our modern times where science is, is greatly helpful in criminal cases, the ancient model relied almost solely on testimonies and eyewitnesses. This is why the Lord our God commands his people of old to not bear false witness against a neighbor. This is because the word of a witness could mean life or death 
for the one who is accused. One thing we have to understand about the ancient model of justice in the court system was that people were not presumed to be innocent until proven guilty. Rather, back then, the understanding was if you are accused, you're presumed to be guilty until proven innocent. Because of this, the ninth commandment is meant to protect justice. A person's word was so weighty, it was enough to testify against someone's life, or it was strong enough to testify for someone's life. This was a time when someone's word was taken very seriously. If I can give you a quote by a scholar who has studied this commandment, this is what he says about the time and the ninth commandment here. In biblical times, courtroom justice was rather uncomplicated. Everything could depend on what the witness said. So witnesses could hold decisive sway over life and death. At the testimony of two or three unanimous witness, a defendant could be sentenced to death. For such, a witness functioned as an accuser against his neighbor and could even be held responsible for his death. His words could be fatal. Other commentators note, furthermore, that in fact, to show the seriousness of a person's accusations, if found guilty, the accuser was to throw the first stone. This is so that the person would understand the direct consequences of their words, the responsibility and the accusations and the punishment was put also in the hands of the one who accuses. However, if the accused was found innocent, then the accuser would be guilty of bearing false witness. And in this case, the one who bore false witness would have received the punishment instead. It was very simple, but it was very fine-lined. I'm sorry, hard-lined. If the commandment today, as we look at the ninth commandment, if it's, if it's to not bear false witness, then the positive aspect of this command is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It reaches beyond just the courtrooms of justice. It actually tells God's people, you and I today, that we're not to bear false witness, not only in the courtrooms, but also in dealing with one another, and especially with God. We are to be people of truth, who speak truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The ninth commandment is meant to preserve Life and justice by way of truth. The ninth commandment is meant to preserve life and justice by way of truth. And it makes sense that God gives this commandment to his people because it's supposed to reflect who he is, his own character. God wants his own people to follow this commandment because he wants them to be like him. People advocate for truth, who speak truth. And we see the greatest example of this. We see the greatest example of life and justice being preserved by way of truth in the gospel, don't we? 
The second point, the gospel. If the ninth commandment is to not bear false witness, if the ninth commandment implies that we are to preserve truth, if the ninth commandment is telling us right now that the importance that it seeks is life and justice by way of truth, then what better example do we have than the gospel itself? So in light of this understanding, it would be proper for you and I this morning to consider where we stand before the judge. And one concept I want us to understand is that understanding the truth helps us guard the truths. And the truth is the gospel message. Let me give you an illustration. Just a few days ago, just a, yesterday actually, I had some education about cybersecurity. I was told there are things in place now where you can create um, one password and through that you can unlock all the other passwords that you have, your Facebook, your Gmail, your Instagram, your banks. And I was trying to figure out the concept of how that worked. And I was like, that's, that seems pretty complicated. And then it clicked. Oh, that's just the way a master key works. You have one key to open up all the locks. And in similar fashion, we have one truth, the ultimate truth, the foundational truth that helps us guard all other truths. And so we have to understand the gospel truth first. So here is the truth, brothers and sisters, friends. This is the truth, that we are born sinners. The world is broken because of me, and the world is surely broken also because of you. From birth, we are born as rebels against God, offsprings of high treason, and our guilt grows more and more by each breath we take. Daily, our debt grows as our sins increase. The truth is, daily our guilt grows as Satan accuses us. The truth is, daily our shame grows as we become more and more aware of this. The truth is that because of this guilt, we are rightly deserving of just punishment, which is death. That is the truth. But the whole truth is this. The whole truth is that in light of us being sinners, in light of us rightly deserving punishment, the whole truth is that Jesus came to save sinners. Because God is just and sin must be punished. And because God is love and he wants to save his people, God sent his one and only son to receive the justice that you and I deserve so that you and I can receive a love that is undeserved. The cross of Christ is the very place we see justice and love. The cross of Christ is the very place we see God preserving life and justice by way of truth. We know in the Gospels that Jesus says of himself that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life that can save us from our guilt, shame, 
and ultimately punishment of eternal death. So the truth is that we are sinners. We were born sinners. We are rightly deserving of punishment. But the whole truth is that even in light of that, that Jesus came to save you and I. Now let me take it a little bit further. If then we are sinners who have been saved by Jesus, then it remains that nothing can bear false witness against us or accuse us or even damn us to hell. If our sins have been paid for, our guilt cleared, our shame forgotten, if God himself does not condemn us, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Not even the devil himself, the father of lies, the deceitful one, can bear witness against us because the whole truth of the gospel covers us and there is nothing more that can be said. The judgment is final. And so if we think about the gospel message, we see that it is the ultimate truth. That even though we're sinners, Jesus saved us. And nothing more needs to be said than now we are people free of guilt. That we are people who receive a love that is so undeserved. That we are people that our lives are ones that are being preserved by way of truth. You know, one of the one of, the, one of the best tactics that the enemy has against us is to accuse us, to accuse us of our sins, to make us question our Savior's saving work for us. The best thing the enemy can do is twist and lie and bear false witness about the God who says he loves us. If we think about it, that's exactly what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He bore false witness about who God is. That's exactly what he does when he comes to meet you and I in those dark, struggling times. He accuses us. He bears false witness about our identity. But we know the whole truth is those who believe in Jesus have a new identity. It's not an identity that is dressed with guilt and shame an identity that requires to be hidden. It's an identity that is liberated, an identity with no more guilt and no more shame, an identity that has been liberated by the truth. This is really important because the truth, the gospel, is the master key that will help us to guard all other truths that we think and speak. So, the last point, the application. What are the reasons to lie? Why do we lie? I think we can categorize it neatly this morning in, in probably two places. First, we lie for the sake of self-preservation and we lie for deprivation of others. So if we understand and if we cherish the truth of the gospel, then it should help us guard all other truths. And this is what I mean. First, in terms of self-preservation, think about the times that we say a lie, whether it's small, whether it's grand, whether it's on a resume, a job application, 
online dating, to our boss, to our spouses, to our friends on social media. Think about it, whether it's small or big. These types of lies often come from a self-preservation motive. It comes from a fear to to try to, to put a certain image or persona Ultimately, it, it comes from us trying to uh, create and fabricate um, and, and, and curate our own identity. But if the truth is that our identity is in Jesus Christ and his saving work, if the truth is that we are no longer guilty and we don't have to use fig leaves anymore to cover our shame, if that is the truth, then the reality, brothers and sisters, is that we don't have to self-preserve that we are being preserved by God. If we find ourselves, whether small or big, lying for the sake of self-preservation, will you remember that you do not have to preserve yourself? You do not have to recreate your image, persona, identity, but God preserves you. God identifies himself with you. You are identified with God. Your identity is in Christ Jesus, a sinner who was saved and can no longer be accused otherwise. Now, it seems like a massive gospel truth to fit into such little places that we have designated for our small lives. But, you know, oftentimes I find that some of of the most dissatisfaction in life comes from social media, and it perpetuates by us even curating our own image or life But if that grand truth, if that master key is true, then it can even unlock the littlest places where we feel insecure, the smallest places where we try to preserve ourselves. Let me give you an example from the Bible. In Genesis 20, we see that Abraham and his wife Sarah are traveling, and they come to a place, and Abraham instructs his wife, hey, Tell the people that you are my sister. For whatever reason, he is afraid. He's afraid if they, if they tell him, if they tell people that she is his wife, that something bad will happen. And so Abraham and Sarah, they come to a town, and Abimelech sees this beautiful woman, and Abraham and Sarah both say, yeah, we're just brothers and sisters. So Abimelech takes her, has a desire for her, And the Lord visits him, and he says, do not do anything. This is someone's wife. Then Abimelech confronts Abraham. Why would you do this? Why would you lie to me and tell me that that's your sister when she is your wife? I almost sinned against you and God, and almost wrath came upon me and my nation. And this is what Abraham says here. This is is a little snippet. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, why did you see that, or what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Here, Abraham responds, I lied because... I thought you didn't fear God. But the ironic twist here is Abraham lied because he didn't fear God. In fact, Abraham lied because he feared men 
more that he feared God. And it's this type of projection. He says, I didn't think you feared God, so I wanted to protect myself from you. When the reality is, brothers and sisters, when we believe in God, he protects us. When we fear him above all things, we're reminded and we remember that he is the one that protects us. And it gets a little more interesting here. Abraham says, I also said this because, well, uh, you know, technically um, she kind of is my sister. She's, my, she's the daughter of my father, even though it's not from the same mother. And he kind of works his way around to justify the reason for his lie. And this is what we do. You and I, we're, we're masters, and, and, and we're all guilty of lying. We know the most delicious lies are, are, are powdered with truth. We know the most delectable lies are, are, are dusted with truth. We know the ones we can best serve to others are those that are sprinkled with little fragments of truth. I once told a lie so small that even I believed it. That's the most scariest lies, right? the smallest little lies, the morsel of truth, enough for us to even believe our own lie. Brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves in moments where we feel we have to self-preserve, that we have to speak an untruth or bear false witness about ourselves or about who God is, may you remember in that moment that the God that you believe in the Savior that you believe in is the one who preserves you not only for life eternal, but this life for all eternity. Second reason we lie, deprivation. Sometimes we lie to hurt others. Sometimes it's done in subtle forms of gossip or slander. You know, when we gossip and slander others, what we're actually doing is we're judging them. When we do this, we have become a judge over them. We are essentially saying that God's judgment over them does not matter. We are essentially siding with the devil and bearing false witness against them, especially if they be a brother and sister in the household of our faith. Let me say that again. If we gossip and slander and judge, especially those who are believers in Christ, we are saying that our judgment overrides God's judgment over them. We are siding with the accuser himself and bearing false witness against them. This is why Paul instructs the church in Ephesus like this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, is God in Christ forgave you. We're being told that often our slandering, our clamoring comes because there is a bitterness, a, a wrath or an anger against someone. If this is the case, if you cannot stop judging, gossiping, and slandering someone, you might need to reconcile with that person, whatever the situation may be. If in your heart you are doing it before the Lord and you are judging them even in secret before the Lord, if there is a bitterness, a wrath, an anger, a clamor, then it is cause for reconciliation. 
Because aren't they the same type of sinner you are who have been forgiven, who have been given a new identity? Paul instructs to be kind to one another. You thought that was Ellen DeGeneres' sign-off line. This is Paul telling the church in Ephesus, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. We're being told that God the judge in Christ forgives you and I, and we're also called to forgive others. We often slander and gossip against one another because we have yet to reconcile with one another. Again, if there's a, if there's a bitterness, if there's a wrath, then please, whether before the Lord or even directly with the person, brothers and sisters, would you reconcile so that your heart may bear no more false witness against them? You know, particularly in the political climate, we see times when times of voting come, there is just, I'm baffled by the commercials. I'm baffled by the slandering and, and the types of maneuvers that politicians do. But one that is most memorable for me which is the opposite of all those things, is in 2008, there was a clip where John McCain corrects a woman for slandering uh, Barack Obama. The woman is on the mic and she says to John McCain, you know, I can't trust Obama. I read about him. He's an, he's an Arab. And John McCain takes the microphone from her gently. He shakes his head and he says, no ma'am, no ma'am. He's a decent family man, a citizen that I just happened to have a disagreement with. You know, I saw that clip and I was like, man, I wish we had that type of class in our culture today, that even in disagreements, that we would not slander one another, that even in disagreements, there would be this type of love and dignity towards one another. Let me conclude with this. Let me conclude with this. This is what James 3, 3 to 5 says. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. Talking about the bridle, right? <laughs> we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by a strong wind, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire. If our whole body is endeared, indeed steered by our tongue, then it must be bridled by the ultimate truth of the gospel. Our tongues must be liberated by the gospel our tongues must be governed by the truth of the gospel. And most importantly, our tongues must speak truth of the gospel. It must tell of its truth. The best way to guard against bearing false witness and lying is by speaking truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, as we discussed. In this way, we will be kept from bearing false witness against each other, lying to one another, and ultimately, liberating one another from the guilt and shame of sin. So brothers and sisters, 
Please remember the gospel message, the ultimate truth, the master key that it unlocks every small little lock. That we are sinners who have been saved by Jesus and we are no longer guilty. That this is true for you and all those who are even struggling to believe the same. For all those who are stumbling in hypocrisy but still are striving to believe in Jesus. Whenever we are bridled by the gospel, whenever we're bridled by that gospel, brothers and sisters, we speak truth. We are kept from lying. So may the gospel today and this day forth urge you to seek that truth, to speak the truth, and to keep safe this truth. Let's pray together.